Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is the interim police chief from the Springfield Police Department, Chief Andrew Shearer. Uh, chief, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Looking forward to it. I almost called you Andrew, and we just met. So that's, that I'm not that's quite, just fine. That, I, that's okay. totally fine. Okay. Andy, Andrew, whatever. I, I'm, so, I'm so informal about this. Podcasts are a little different. You know, like I have had uh, Mayor Van, Van Gordon on. Shout out to Sean Van Gordon. And I swear, I, I've known him for a few months, but the first couple of times I talked to him, I'm like, how's it going, Sean? And I just forget that I need to be a little more professional than that. But hey, thank you very much for doing this. This is a really great opportunity for you to kind of get to know, uh, or for the, for the uh, citizens of Springfield to get to know you. If anybody's unaware, I don't know how they could. Uh, you are the interim police chief replacing uh, the police chief that is just re- retired and, and resigned from the position. And there's been a tremendous change in leadership across the board. You know, I had mentioned Sean Van Gordon. He kind of set up this this interview. He's the new mayor. And then Damian Pitts replaced him on city council. Now we have a new police chief. There's a lot of changes happening in Springfield. Uh, so I guess I'll just kind of go after it. Uh, what can we do to learn from the past and move forward? Well, I think um, it's no secret to anybody that policing has been a focus of people across the country, you know, since the George, since the murder of George Floyd a little over a year ago. Um, I think where we want to focus as a community and on the type of policing that we want is we need community involvement to share with us how they want their community policed. Um, we're, We're in a day and age where police departments and police chiefs and city governments can't just tell the people of their city how it's going to be done and that we know best. We have to include community members at the table so they feel ownership um and in how and how we do business yeah i i have to ask this so with no qualms you you call it the murder of george floyd and i think that's really interesting i want to touch on that yeah you know uh is it something for you where it was kind of what was your first reaction when you when you saw that when you saw the tape you know i think like every cop that i know when they saw the tape they're absolutely disgusted absolutely disgusted and Unfortunately, we, we, we've had that feeling far too often, um, you know, in, in recent years with the advent of cameras and recordings and things like that. You see things that happen around the country and you can't help but smack your head and like, how did that even happen? Why did that happen? That can't happen here. That's not my agency. How did that happen? But then you see it time and time and time again. And it's just it's tragic. And I mean, honestly, the first thing that I thought when I saw that video was, you know, that officer did a horrible thing. 
he did a horrible thing and he was held accountable for what he did. And that, yeah. that's what should occur. But where it really pains me is, you know, there's an officer that was, that was in an organization that somehow allowed him to get to the point where he thought that was okay or acceptable. And that takes years. And that speaks to the culture of a department that speaks to, you know, every supervisor that person has had throughout their career, every chief that's the head of the organization throughout that person's career for somehow it was in that officer's mind. Okay. To, to act in that manner. And that is not entirely just on the officer that is on the entire department. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I just had to ask about that because uh, semantics are really important, you know, and as a chief, obviously you'll be addressing the media and if there's hopefully not, but there will be stuff that comes up where you have to give public statement and all that kind of stuff. And so semantics are so important, you know, and I mean, one of the things that's used so loosely is the word riot in Eugene. And we're going to talk a little bit later about local issues and protests and that kind of stuff. And there's such a difference between a protest and a riot, you know, and, and these different things. And so the way that people word it, it really shows kind of where their head's at with it. And it's just interesting. It tells a lot and just the way that people word things. And I, I mean, I host a podcast, so I'm constantly having to be cautious about the way that I word things. So j yeah, that, that was an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you could comment on that. Uh, how much homework did a job like this entail? You know, coming into, like you had said, the, the taking over for uh, a department that, you know, has an interesting past and we're going to move forward. So how, how much homework did a job like this entail? Well, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. I mean, I was on a road trip with my wife and I basically got short story. I got a phone call from someone in city government saying, Hey, um, would you be willing to come on down here as the interim chief and help us out because our chief is retiring and, and we're, we're looking for somebody to fill in and, and we're looking for some change. I didn't know anything about Springfield. Really. I don't know anybody that works there. I don't know anybody in city government. You know, I've been a cop for you know close to 30 years, um, a couple hours north of Springfield, but I really hadn't had much opportunity over my career to interact with Springfield cops. So like anybody would do, I grabbed my phone, I started Googling and there's no shortage of headlines to start popping up. Sure. <laughs> and uh, you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no shortage of headlines start popping up. It's like, wow, there, there's a lot going on here. So, you know, I talked to my wife and um, I've never in my career shied away from challenging assignments or, or I never wanted to take the easy route in anything I did. And I look at this as a challenging assignment. And frankly, I'm passionate about the profession. I'm passionate about being a cop. I hate seeing things that, you know, look like that, that tarnish the profession. Like I talked about earlier, you know, it happens far too often. And so I looked at this as an opportunity to step in, um, try to hopefully leverage some of my experiences that I've had over my career and my leadership style. Um, and, and implement some level of change for the better for the, for the people within the agency and the people of the city of Springfield. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what can be done in the whole, like I had mentioned the whole change in leadership in Springfield and, and Springfield. The thing also is there's a lot of things that were happening that were really positive in the last 15 years. I'm sure that that's what you've been able to learn is that 15, 20 years, there's a lot of positive things. So it's not like we needed a complete, you know, house cleaning, it's just we had to kind of shuffle things up because there's also a lot of things that need to be really improved. So it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. Uh, originally, you said, you know, you've been at this for about 30 years. What made you interested in law enforcement? Uh, before I touch on that, let me just get back. Just let me step sure, back. Just sure, a and sure. so like, like everybody does, they, they form their perceptions and their reality is what they know. So my reality about Springfield PD were those headlines that I saw. 
Sure. And you're like, oh my God, what's going on there? That's all I knew. And that's just like most general, most people of the public, that's what they knew or people in Springfield, you know, their personal interactions with Springfield cops. But in the you know, five-ish weeks that I've been there, <clears throat> it, it is the, the department is not the department that's in the headlines. That's fair. Yeah. There have been, I think I can acknowledge this, tremendous mistakes that have been made. I think there's there's things to work on, things to rebuild, things to fix. But at its core, the the men and women that are in that department, I've been blown away. Yeah. I mean, there's a culture there that is so clearly committed to the people of Springfield. I mean, they show up a roll call every day and they are, they, they're like, Hey, we have a job to do. And the people are out there depend on us and they can't wait to get out there. I mean, they're working long hours oh, working yeah. on their days off because of staffing shortages. I mean, they're really, truly committed to the people of this community. So I, I want to try to do what I can to, you know, we'll tweak policies and training and kind of change culture a little bit, but at, at its core it is filled with, with tremendous men and women. It really is. Well, and I think it's true. I mean, I think that that's the story of police departments across the country where there's a lot of really, really great people. And then there's a couple bad situations even. I mean, so, so you know, just I, I want to I think it's fair to say that just because a situation goes bad, that doesn't mean that that's a bad person that did it. I mean, I'm the first to say that I have a checkered past and I've been able to learn from it and grow from it. But that doesn't mean that I I'm a bad guy, you know, you know, so, so that's a whole different thing. Yeah. And, and I mean, I appreciate you saying that. So yeah. What made you interested in getting into law enforcement? Well, um, I wish I could tell you that I wanted to change the world and I was just li live to help people and all that, but that wasn't really the case. I thought it'd be exciting. And my whole, my whole life, I've always kind of sought out challenges and somewhere along the line in high school, I decided, you know what, that looks like a lot of fun. That looks exciting. It looks interesting. And I want to pursue that. And that's largely what drove me um, to, to, to become a cop. I remember yeah. when I was a little kid, we used to, I used to ride around my grandmother and she'd see a fire truck. We'd be going to McDonald's or get ice cream or something. She'd see a fire truck and she would follow it to see what was going on. And so I remember being a little kid, I really wanted to be a fireman. But at some point, you know, in, in high school, I kind of decided, you know what, being a cop looks like it'd be a lot of fun and pretty exciting. I think I want to pursue that. So that's largely what drove me to do that. Did you ever think that you would get to this point? Did you ever think that you would get to be chief? Never, yeah. never, every, every job I've ever had, whether it's a brand, whether it's a brand new recruit in the Academy, a brand new officer in a night shift somewhere, you know, I always just strive to be a sponge and soak it up and be the, you know, try to be the best that I could be at whatever assignment I was in. And then as the years go on, you just find yourself in a different position and a different position. The next thing you know, you turn around and you're in a supervisory position. The next thing you know, you turn around one day and You've got chief stars on your collar. You're like, how the heck did this happen? But I, I never, never set my sights on being a police chief or even if he would ask me, geez, six, seven, eight years ago, if I thought I'd be a police chief, it's like, oh, no way. I'm not going to be a police chief. So it just kind of just kind of happened. That's the that's the consensus with, like I had said, the change in leadership, you know, with Sean Van Gordon, Damian Pitts and now yourself. You know, and I love that. I love the humility. I love the fact that people are like, I would, I can't, I didn't know, I don't know how this happened. You know, you know, and I mean, I feel the same way, even though my success is very different. It's all scaled to the individual, but I feel like that in my life, I'm pinching myself where I'm at, you know, so it's an honor. Uh, 20, uh, we talked about that. It's 20 years experience. What is different about policing a smaller town, you know, compared to a town like Portland or a city like Portland? I think it's just the level of interaction that, you know, as a police chief, you have with all the elected officials, business leaders, the people within the organization, the people within the community at a, at a, in a large city, 
it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, there was times where I'd run into somebody on an elevator and be like, Hey, who are you? And they're like, oh, I'm officer so-and-so. How long have you been here? I've been here five years. I've never even seen him before, you know? And it's just that it doesn't have that family feel like you get here. I mean, I already know by name, most of the people in the PD and all the city council members, and I've met some people out in the community and it's just, it's different that way because I think there's just a much, a much stronger connection which leads to, I think, better communication. And I think you can, you can be much more agile and make things happen much faster um, in, in a town like this. I really do. I think the accessibility is something I've really learned and something that Mayor Van Gordon has really been pushing is participation, civic participation, you know, and the accessibility, obviously the Springfield police department is, is accessible. You're here on a podcast, you know, and doing this kind of thing. And the response that I got when we were kind of setting this up, uh, it was, you know, everybody was really, really cool. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it's very, people are very accessible. You can get a hold of your mayor. You can get a hold of your city council member. They're doing virtual town halls, which make it easier. So yeah, that's, that's something I think is really cool with a smaller town. Yeah, for sure. Now, what do you consider to be a good system of law enforcement and how could it be implemented in Springfield? That's a great question. I mean, I wish there was a book that had like, here's the list of five different systems of law enforcement, pick which one you want to use that works, you know, because that just doesn't really exist. And so there's a wide range of, you know, policing styles and philosophies across the country. Um, I think that to, to police from a, from a foundation of procedural justice is, is a kind of a buzzword you hear a lot today, but it really does make sense. And at, at its core, you know, there's kind of these four pillars of procedural justice. You know, the first one is voice. You need to provide voice to the community, voice in terms of their accessibility to you, voice in terms of being at the table when we establish how we do business, voice in terms of if, they, if they're not pleased with their police service, there's a mechanism for them to share that and hopefully implement some level of change. Um, as a policing agency, you need to, you need to police with a sense of neutrality. You know, you never, you never know where someone else is coming from. And we need to be seen as that neutral um, entity in the city that no matter what your political views are, no matter what your backgrounds are, we will treat everyone equally and from a neutral position. Um, you have to treat people with um, uh, exceptional level of respect. And again, no matter who you are, what your background is, what your attitude is at any given moment, even when you're standing in front of a police officer, for the, from the police officer's perspective, we will treat everyone, everyone with respect. Because if you don't do that, then people are less likely to follow the laws or less likely to listen to police officers. They feel undervalued and they're not going to believe in what you're trying to do. And so we have to have a core of treating everyone, no matter who they are and what, how they're acting or what kind of criminal activity they might be engaged in or are they in the midst of a mental health crisis, treating everyone with respect is is one of those one of those four core pieces of that foundation and then the final piece i think is trust and how do you build that trust because if the people in the community do not trust you it doesn't matter what you implement it's not going to work it's not going to be effective and so how you build that trust that that is that's the biggest challenge because we do a lot of things to build trust but i think Something can happen in Minneapolis tomorrow and the people in Springfield lose trust yeah. in the Springfield Police Department. I'm glad you say so that. Min Minnesota, Minneapolis has a reputation, you know, and and you had kind of alluded to this. And these are my words, but but media, the media perception of how something is portrayed, you know, and and 
a chief, I, I, I had kind of talked about this too. Your relationship with the media is paramount for how things, you know, for how things will go. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, the local media in Springfield is so limited, which is why I do what I do, you know, why I've started doing this. And so we can kind of, kind of give a, a human, uh, look to what's happening, but yeah, that, those, that's really, that's really interesting. I'm really glad you talked about neutrality. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. We're going to talk about some of the protests and some of that stuff. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, but that's really interesting. Uh, one thing. So before we get into the, the local issues, uh, in your bio that, that was sent to me by the department, it mentions that you've done a lot of work, uh, advocating for athletes in the special Olympics. Talk about that a little bit. That's something I became involved in at my prior agency um, as a, one of the one of the liaisons for my department with the local Special Olympics office or Special Olympics Oregon. Um, it's a tremendous organization. It services, I think, 13 or 14,000 athletes every year in the state of Oregon of all ages, from young children to people up into their 70s and even older. And it provides them such an amazing opportunity to be part of community to have this network of friends and fellow athletes that they can, and they train for these events throughout the year. And so being a part of that, um, going to these different events and, and we, and I would do it as a law enforcement officer, not just as a community member, because I think it's just so important for these folks to see that we as police officers are there to support them, yeah. ensure they're successful and and that we're, we'll, we're to be trusted. And that comes back again to, you know, how do we build trust? That is just one small example of the hundreds of hundreds of things that cops do to build that trust over time. But yeah, my experience with special Olympics has truly been, um, it's, it's been great. It's been great. I mean, there's, there's things that people have overcome that you and I can never even imagine. Oh, yeah. And they, they show up with a smile and they're just so happy. And it's just, it's been, it's, it's a tremendous organization. I can't say enough about. That's awesome. That's something I'm very passionate about. I sit on the board of directors, for uh, a new website nonprofit called Educational Equity Now, and it is designed to help uh, ed students and parents and teachers for students that are experiencing ex exceptionalities. So that's something when I read that, I thought that was really cool. And this website is going to pop off. So everyone, keep your eyes open for Educational Equity Now. Uh, I'm going to play a, a quick little spot. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some local issues. The Spent the Rent podcast is sponsored by Oregon Cashflow Pro, featuring Wealth Care Wednesdays, the live stream, a Q&A on all things finance. Go to OregonCashflowPro.com to find out more. More wealth, less debt, fast at Oregon Cashflow Pro. That's how, that's how I pay the bills. <laughs> so, okay, so let's get into it. We're going to talk about some heavy stuff. We're going to talk about some local issues and... You know, obviously, like I had said before, I, I know you've had to do a massive amount of homework. So none of this stuff will come as a surprise to the issues that are are paramount in Springfield that I hear on, on a constant basis in the conversations I have with people. So the first one uh, is body cameras. You know, there's a what's what is the update on the body camera program? So this is tremendous. I don't know if everybody fully understands this. There's a whole bunch of agencies out there that still don't have body cameras. There's a lot of challenges with as far as the expense of it, the expense of the retention of all of it. And I can't say enough about the Springfield city government for authorizing Springfield to get these cameras. Um, it's a program that's been under construction, I think, for close to a year. And I was fortunate enough that it rolled out, I think, my second or third week on the job. We had trained everybody in the agency and started using them. 
um, is tremendous. I think it's something that the community absolutely wants. It adds a whole another layer of accountability to what our police department's doing. Um, I know the police department is passionate about getting them because it's an opportunity for them to show the community like, hey, here's here's who we really are. Yeah. Here's how we really do business, because I think that's such a piece that's been missing. So, again, that'll come back to establishing trust through an increased level of accountability. Um, you know, there, There's already been examples of, you know, somebody calling to complain about how the police officer treated them. And you go back and watch the video. The officer acted like a model officer. Sure. You know, and in the past, we never would have known that, you know, on the flip side of that, are, is it going to expose things that police officers have done that maybe they shouldn't have done? Probably at some point it will, but at least now we'll know. So we can address those through, you know, at the highest level, some level of accountability and at the lowest level, at least it'll lead to discussions, maybe additional training, maybe changes in policy. But I think uh, across the board, having body cameras at any agency is, is tremendous for the agency itself as well as the community. Is there a defined policy on when they have to be turned on and off? You know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And the policy is, I should have shot you a link. The policy is on the, the city of Springfield police website, the entire policy. And there's a frequently asked questions portion that has all these questions listed out and answers to them. But yes, anytime you're involved in some kind of policing activity, whether it's a traffic stop, responding to a call, a criminal investigation, they're turning their cameras on and they're required to turn them on. And if you, if they don't turn them on when they're supposed to, they'll be held accountable for doing that. Um, <clears throat> There are times when you will not need to turn them on if you're interviewing, let's say, you know, the victim in some kind of a sexual assault or something that you need to remain sensitive or even some small children kind of thing. So there's certain times that we're not going to record. But I think the times that the general public would assume the cameras should be on, they're going to be on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so in Springfield, there was a very public uh, settlement, 4.5 million or something. I mean, it was the largest settlement in the history of, of spring of Oregon, uh, for wrongful death case of Stacy Kenny. And so I wanted to ask this question about de-escalation training. Cause in my opinion, that whole situation was a situation where de-escalation tactics were not used. It was, it's a very difficult story and, and I encourage anybody to look it up and, and read on it, but what is being done in terms of de-escalation training? Well, we've, and largely as a result of that settlement, we've incorporated de-escalation language directly into our use of force policy. So it's something that's going to be expected that our officers engage in when it, whenever feasible. Um, as far as the training goes, it's something that we're going to incorporate into everything we do. I mean, if we're training on, you know, some kind of physical force, there's going to be a discussion and a piece about de-escalation in that training. It's not just you take the de-escalation class and then you do all this other stuff. It's going to be a core component of everything we do and the discussions that we have. You know, we have some scenario-based training coming up and de-escalation is a key component in that training. And that's how officers, you know, will be evaluated. There's a certain, you have to perform and meet certain tasks at a given scenario. And if the, if the scenario requires the implementation of de-escalation throughout scenario, then that's what they're going to do. And if they don't do it, that'll lead to further discussions. And maybe we do the scenarios over until they, they implement it the correct way. Would you say that in your 30 years of experience that training has gotten, uh, how do I word this? Has it gotten more, has it made your job harder with more of this advanced training or has it made it easier because you have it such defined expectations? That's, that's a great question. I mean, I think policing 20, 30 years ago, I'm going to tell you, I was, I was a cop back then. It was easier back then. It was much more clear cut on what the expectation was and what you would do. It's more difficult now, but it's light years better than it was, if that makes sense. Yeah. Efficiency. Yeah. Efficiency. 
the things that officers are taught today, the tools they have available to them, the resources that they have available, it, we are a much, much better profession than we were two, three decades ago, but it is more difficult. The bar is set much higher. And with training, I mean, it's, I would love nothing more than to be able to train my cops, you know, 20 hours a week. I mean, there's, you can never get too much training, but the reality is it's a balance. You have a limited number of people. Those people have to get out on the street to respond to the people of Springfield. And so when you pull them off the street to send them to training or to put on training classes and things, you know, it's just that constant, that constant balance of cost staffing, but I'm never going to use that as an excuse to not train somebody. We need to provide and provide the cops in Springfield in particular, the highest level of training that we can. And that takes a commitment from me. That takes a commitment from city government. A lot of times there's a cost associated with that, but, but I'm committed to doing that. Cause if we, if we, if a bad things happen, if a bad thing happens in Springfield and the officer was doing what we told them to do or train him to do, that's on us. Cause we should have provided them the training and the expectations. So that bad thing hopefully didn't happen or right. wouldn't have happened. So now this is, uh, something that I think needs to be talked about cahoots. And I also want to kind of preface it by saying, you know, this is kind of the de the defund the police conversation. There is people in, in this world that think when you hear defund the police, that that means abolish police departments. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> and that's not debatable for me. Those are my words, but there's a lot of people, the phrasing in the, in the, in the language is, is ineffective in a lot of ways. And that's a political thing. That's not your, your, your concern, I'm sure. But as far as it goes, a lot of people want to reallocate funds. So I wanted to talk to you about cahoots and how that's already happening, you know, a little bit. So cahoots is in Springfield. If anyone's unaware, cahoots uh, works to kind of deescalate mental health situations and they work alongside the police. Talk a little bit about how a partnership with organizations like cahoots can benefit the Springfield police department. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've seen for a long time that the police across the country and in municipalities all around Oregon have become, and somebody else said this term, so I'm not going to take credit for it, have become the tip of the spear for society's failures. You know, when a bad thing is happening or something's going on and nobody knows how to deal with it, they call 911 and most of the time it's a police officer that shows up. So they've been the tip of the spear for a wide range of issues. And people suffering from mental health crisis has clearly been one of those issues that police have had to show up on. Um, Cahoots is live and well in the city of Springfield. It's an amazing program that's been um, in Springfield. I know Eugene for quite some time, but that is a core component of our response in Springfield is that partnership with Cahoots. Um, there's a lot of cities that don't have that. And that's, that's very unfortunate um, when it comes to the whole defund the police. I think <clears throat> a reallocation of funds is absolutely necessary within city government. Does that mean we take X from the police department and plug X into somewhere else? That's not going to work because most police departments don't have the funding for the training and the personnel and everything that they truly need to do their job as it is. And then when we cut that further, um, that, that, that's not, that's not helpful. And I've seen that happen in cities here in Oregon. I was just reading an article about my friend, Laurent Armstrong was a police chief down in Oakland and they just cut $18 million out of their budget and murders are through the roof. And the impact right. is just devastating these communities that are historically underserved anyway. And they're, they're, they're in the throes of just record violence. So defunding the police department during a time like that is not the answer. I saw, and this is a side note, but 
it's gotten some of these slogans and the and the divisions in the country. It's just gotten out of hand. I saw this massive truck with a flag that said "Defund the Media," and I'm thinking I'm a Bernie Sanders voter. I'm thinking I'm like, yes, please. First of all, do you mean OPB? Because no, I like OPB. But if we want to take down these massive corporations, we can sign off on that. You know, you know, and it's just so funny. These slogans are just they're dangerous because it demonizes the opposing sides and we need to kind of come together in some way, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the conversations, you can argue that the protests and the, and whatnot has created the conversation that's gone into a, a place where now we've had those conversations. And so there's, there's some progress that's been made by it, but it's also been very damaging for the, for my team, for the democratic party, but that's, that's a, not neither here nor there for today. Uh, so let's see. And uh, now do you support, an idea of an independent civilian oversight committee? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think civilian oversight and civilian involvement in city government and policing in particular is very important. Like I talked about earlier, there needs to be voice. There needs to be that, that pathway for community to share in what they want from their police department. There needs to be that pathway where the community can share what they don't like about their police department or changes they want made. But I think it can go too far. I think a police chief is ultimately responsible for the actions that happen within that agency. If there's some other layer of government between me and the city manager or a mayor that's essentially dictating what's going to happen to the people in a police department, then kind of what's what's the point of having a police chief? And this isn't some kind of power struggle, like I need to be the person in charge, but I think a police chief is there every day that police chief is responsible for implementing that training, those policies, holding people accountable. And I think the civilian oversight, frankly, is through voters, elected officials that hire and fire a city manager who hired and fires a police chief. So there is really civilian oversight in that term because the community does ultimately control what happens within city government. It might not be at the pace that they want it to. If they want something to happen tomorrow, I mean, that's a longer term thing, but Civilian involvement, absolutely. I'm 100% um, supportive of that. But a total civilian oversight of a police department, I can't say I agree with that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, you know, fair take. I think it's important to have conversations where they're coming out of left field. So I think the benefits of at least a committee, maybe not oversight, maybe that's not the word we're going to use, but just just, uh, outreach so that the people, maybe marginalized groups feel heard because that's the constant you know, that's the constant thing we hear is that there's groups that are like, I don't feel like I have a voice, you know? Right. So, so, so that's where I see that that could be, you know, utilized. And then it's interesting how it's done. I mean, we had that big thing last summer with the black lives matter protests and it was over a noose. And then you, you watch the, the oversight committee talk about it and it was being ran by someone, they were calling it a Halloween decoration. And the, and like I said before, the semantics, you know, when you talk about it. So I don't know. I think it's important for the, for the community to be heard and be involved, but I do think it's fair for you to say like, well, what's my job then? Cause that's what I'm supposed to do, you know? So I, I get that. That makes sense. What are, this is a really interesting question. What are some societal concerns that citizens may be unaware of that the police department's very aware of not just Springfield, but nationally and also locally, if you could. Well, locally, I'm still trying to get my finger on the pulse of just exactly what the societal issues are sure. in, in, in Springfield. I mean, I know nationally and in an agency I just came from, and like I just mentioned, Oakland, I mean, violence is just spiked across the country. Gun violence, maybe not so much in Springfield, even though I didn't know we just did have a, a, a shooting that involved some people here a couple of weeks ago. But it's just it's 
there, the loss of life and the injury and the trauma that's happening across the country, specific to, to gun violence, typically in bigger cities, is is a major concern. It's a major concern here in Springfield. I mean, I know a societal issue. You know, the the unhoused population. That's it. That's always a concern. And and what is the fix to that? There's a whole bunch of different layers to that. None of them are inexpensive. Um, I think we have an opportunity in Springfield with city government to try to address that in a manner early on before it escalates to a problem that it has presented in other cities where there's an unhoused population that's just kind of overwhelmed some of these towns. And I don't see that in Springfield now, but I think is the time now is the time to have those discussions on how are we going to address that moving forward? And the police are just one small part of that discussion. I mean, that, that involves all kinds of different city departments, elected officials and everybody else. But I think that's something that we just need to be preparing for early and, ha- and have a plan in place because I've seen what doesn't work. Yeah, Springfield has different rules and laws on camping in town than Eugene does. And and I don't know, I should know this, but I'm not sure exactly the law or the rules on uh, panhandling. I think that there's kind of more on loitering and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it's done differently. And so, yeah, I've also seen some very humane stuff as far as the police department towards the unhoused communities, too. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, so now I want to talk about race relations. And this is really a difficult topic because I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm just going to come out and ask it. What can the Springfield Police Department do to help improve race relations in Springfield? And what is your take? Let's just focus on that part first, and then we'll get to this follow up question. I think it comes back to that concerted effort to not meet people in the middle, but to go way down to the end zone at the far end and meet people where they are. We have to do that as a police agency. You know, even some of the, you know, we have a police advisory committee. We have different mechanisms for people to come to the table and talk to the police. But I think a lot of people are not going to do that. And we can't just say, hey, we gave them the opportunity. They didn't take it. We need to create the opportunities. We need to go out to every corner of Springfield, every community that's been underserved historically and make a concerted effort to doing that. And um, we currently have a community liaison position in the department that's currently uh, vacant. We're going to look at getting that filled. So we have a person whose full-time job it is, is to make those connections with different segments of the community. But that being said, it's not one person's job. I mean, every police officer in the department has dozens and dozens of opportunities every single day to reach out to folks and start building that trust and giving them that voice. And so we want to implement a culture within the PD where people see like, Hey, I am the ambassador for SPD. And here's kind of, here's kind of where our focus is going to be. We need to focus on these underserved communities and these minority communities because they are feeling like they are underrepresented in terms of voice. They might be overrepresented in terms of policing and so that's something that we absolutely have to address. But we need to go where people are and start having those conversations and building that trust. We can't just expect people to come into the PD and want to sit down and have a conversation. So I think going back to what we were talking about with the oversight committee, and now you had, t- had mentioned an ad- advisory committee. That it sounds like you're on. You're totally in support of. It's in that, and maybe we can talk on that a little bit. Yeah, there, there, there's an organization called the Springfield Advisory Committee that meets, I think, monthly. Um, And and their job is largely to hear the voice of community and then report that voice back to the PD and have those kind of discussions. And it's a public forum. You know, right now it's on Zoom. Anybody can log in. Anybody can reach out to they call it SPAC uh, with their questions and concerns. So that is kind of the formal channel for community voice to be heard um, to the PD. But they don't have oversight. I mean, they can't, you know, compel testimony or interview, you know, they don't have any real authority to implement discipline and things like that, like a true 
civilian oversight committee would have, but there absolutely is a, a structure that we have in place here at Springfield to give community voice. Which is good. Uh, now, okay, so this is tough. And I hear this a lot. There's with protests, there's kind of a, in Springfield, there's a perceived imbalance. You talked about neutrality. You know, it, I, in my opinion, with my own eyes, I've watched live streams last summer, even recently, and I've, I've seen it, in my opinion, to, to see kind of a, my perception shows an imbalance in the way that it's handled. Is there anything that could be done to reinforce t- some, some form of neutrality, to really kind of encourage that it's, I mean, that's a difficult task. I understand when, when the gripe is that, you know, your job shouldn't exist. I would understand that people would be pretty irritable with it because they're human beings. But what can be done to kind of work towards, towards you know, fixing the, the perceived imbalance in policing protests? Another great question. And I've lived that. I've, I've seen that. I know there's been protests where there's, you know, people with political views on opposite ends of the spectrum that show up intentionally. And it is critical. It's critical that the police department that's there to ensure a safe environment for everybody cannot be seen, not just be seen. They cannot be leaning towards one group or the other. Um, we need to establish designated liaisons for all members or designated liaisons for the different groups that are there that lay out very clearly in a very similar manner, what's acceptable and what's not. We need to have those lines of communication, but a police department cannot be seen essentially being um, one-sided and supporting one political view and not the other political view. That is not our job. Our job is to, you know, vigorously um, ensure that people have a right to express um, their views, regardless of what those views are. I could, I might disagree wholeheartedly with whatever your view is, but I will stand there and protect your right to share that view no matter what. Um, and where we draw the line, you talked really about riots and things like that. When, when situations de-escalate to the point of criminal activity and breaking windows and starting fires and stuff like that. I mean, again, we don't care what the political views are. We're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior, but I think when it comes to policing protests, we just need to remain neutral and fair. And if the people that are involved in the protest see that we're treating them in a fair manner, um, I would like to believe that they're going to be um, more likely to follow the laws that we lay out for them. Yeah, what we saw, the most egregious example that I can think of over the last year, and this isn't local, but in Wisconsin, you know, and when we saw a citizen fire on another citizen, and that's my absolute nightmare that we would see something like that in Springfield. And we've seen these tensions mounting between two very passionate sides, you know, and, and, and then when you see that, what it leads to is it leads to people that are more, I don't know, maybe passive or moderate in it that they have to take a side because they're like, it's not being done to nothing's being done to quell this, to squash it. It doesn't feel like at least, I mean, there's a lot of footage in, in what happened in Wisconsin, uh, where, you know, they're, they're, he's walking right down the road with an assault rifle. And, and I just, I don't know. I mean, it's just a really scary situation. And then he goes and shoots people. And there's obviously, everything's debated. There's even debate on if he was defending himself, which I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that. But, you know. You and know. and, and, and what I think we want, what we want to avoid is getting to that point in time where that's all happening right there. Yeah. And how do we do that? Because by the time we have to call the police to intervene in that, it's almost too late. You know, we know these events are going to start spooling up and we've got connections all throughout the community with all of our elected officials, different department heads. And so this this is a citywide and a community wide um, um, 
effort to try to head these things off before they get to that point. Because when it comes down to it, if it's, you know, two in the morning and, and crowds are fighting and the police get called in, I mean, by then it's, I don't want to say it's too late because we're always going to do our job and step in and do the best we can. But we as a community have to really have those conversations in the days leading up to these events to try to avoid these tragedies from happening. Right. Well, now that we talked about how difficult the job of being a police officer is, let's talk about how you're looking for new officers and, and, and that we want to hire new people. No weird segue. No, it's really it's very public there uh, that the police department's looking for new, uh, you know, new officers. So what does yeah. that process look like? What kind of people are you looking for? You know, that kind of stuff. Where do they go to apply? Um, we have a number of vacancies right now. I think we have like 10 officer vacancies. And so the, the downside of that is people are working long hours to try to be out there for the citizens of Springfield um, to provide the level of service that they expect. But what that's doing is it's 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 putting a lot of stress on our officers just because the long hours are having to work. So we need to get these spots filled. We started a new program recently where we um, were taking lateral officers. So if there's officers that are already sworn police officers in the state and they work at another agency, um, we're even have some um, have hiring bonuses to bring them on board. And the advantage of taking a lateral officer is you can plug them in just in a matter of a couple of weeks and they can start doing the job. But I want to make it perfectly clear. We're not just taking any lateral officer. We're looking for people that are fully committed to the community, people that have a, a track record of doing just that, people that don't have extensive disciplinary histories. Um, I'm not we're, not, we're not just looking for the officers that think they're getting run out of one department. And they're looking for a place to land. That's, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking people that, for people that can truly show that they're committed to policing Springfield in the manner that we expect. Um, and we're also looking for new officers, people that haven't been a police officer before. We've got some amazing candidates in the pipeline right now. I was just reading through some of the packets the other day, you know, people that are in their thirties and forties that, um, you know, they've been, had a career in business. They've got families, people that are in their twenties that are just out of college. And across the board, I would love nothing more than to be be able to hire people from within the city of Springfield, from a broad range of diverse communities throughout the city of Springfield. They can bring a diversity of ideas, thought, experiences to the table. Um, but it's a challenge in a, in a city the size of Springfield. And then you look at the pool of people that's looking for a job, and then you take that pool even smaller to the people that actually want to be cops. And then the, that pool, the people that can actually pass the backgrounds to become a cop, those numbers get really small, really fast. So we're reaching out as far as we possibly can to get to get people to come here because this is really showing me it's a tremendous community in the short term I've been here. It's pretty Springfield is a great place, you know, and and I want to welcome you to the community. I think you're going to do good things. Just talking to you today. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show and it's really cool to be able to pick your brain and the accessibility, like I said before, of new leadership in, in Springfield is amazing. And, and so anybody that, you know, if they can reach out to you guys through email, through whatever, there's a lot of stuff. I know you guys will be doing a lot of stuff with public outreach. I know the fair is something that I've always, I've always chit chatted with police officers at the Lane County fair. And so I used one of my substitute teachers in high school was an officer uh, I think it was Springfield police might've been Eugene officer Pew, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, one last question and then I want to talk, uh, I got a couple more, but, but, uh, what can the citizens do to help make your job easier? Uh, I don't think it's about making our job easier because our job is what it is. But I think what I would ask of the citizens of Springfield is if you have questions, if you hear something, you see something, let us know contact us, flag an officer down, come up and ask. I mean, we, we want to put to rest any uncertainty or 
lack of trust or anything like that based on things you've seen, heard, or experienced. So please, please reach out to us and try not to let it, you know, fester to the point where it becomes something that's unproductive for everybody. Cause we want to, we want to be the best agency that we can and we're willing to change and we're willing to, to, to move the needle forward and provide, provide you, the people of Springfield, what you need in the police department. So please, please just be vocal and reach out. Absolutely. Yeah. So now the last question I have, and this is the hot button issue right now, fireworks. It's July 3rd. And so, uh, what is that going to look like for you guys? Are, is, are the illegal fireworks, is it going to be a little bit more this year because of the risk of forest fire? Is there kind of a plan in place to have a little bit more, uh, you know, cause I know that in the past, you know, I live in the Thurston area and it was, it's a, it looks like a war zone. I mean, you could just smell gun smoke, you know, gunpowder everywhere. So is there anything planned this year, a little more than normal to kind of, kind of deal with some of that? Well, there is a fireworks amnesty day where they're going to be in Springfield today. So if you have illegal fireworks or even legal fireworks that you've decided that you've got, maybe they're old sitting around, you have the opportunity to go turn those in today. Just get rid of those. Um, I mean, the threat of fire is real. It's been hot. It's dry. Fires start. The fireworks start fires. Um, as far as the PD's perspective, I mean, illegal fireworks have been illegal for a long time and we will enforce that. And if we see people setting off illegal fireworks this year, um, of course, officers always have the discretion, but we can cite, we can seize, um, we can educate, we can warn, but, but they're going to be out specifically looking, um, for illegal fireworks because of the fire danger. Yeah. And drunk driving is something that, you know, with any big holiday and, and, you know, I, oh, my dog hates fireworks. And so I'm trying to get out of town, but I'm like, well, I have to stay the night because I don't want to be driving on country roads after that. So I'm trying to make a decision on if I'm going to just hide in a bunker with an ear with earplugs. She, yeah. I used to clown on people when they would, when they would complain about their dogs, you know, and then I got my, do- my, my dog hates fireworks. Oh my she'll gosh. Be sh- she'll be shaking for the next three days. She trembles and she, she's not a drooler and she drools like so crazy. And she's, I love her almost more than the kids. So I, uh, I shouldn't say that, but it's true. I, uh, I, uh, she's amazing. And, and she's my, I, she means so much to me. And I just watch her just so miserable. I did find, I did find everyone's like, give her CBD. I'm like, I'm not giving my dog cannabis, you know, but, uh, I did find some melatonin shoes that she does. It does help a lot. And, yeah. and we try to catch it early, but it's just, ah, you know, and I want people to have their fun. Obviously it's. Yeah. It's, it's, it's America and it's freedom, you know, but, but, uh, and it is, I mean, it is a great holiday overall. I just, I just think that it can cause some issues. So yeah, there's been a lot of talk and I know that in Springfield, it was a hard sell to get city government to do anything about it. To, and that's not your job, you know, to make those decisions on if they were going to ban it and stuff, but I don't know. It's tough. You know, I hope people are responsible this year, but Absolutely. well, chief Andrew Shearer, I really appreciate you talking to me today. Uh, it's it, you know, the term interim chief, I guess that's because it's new. How long are you planning on, on being in this position? Is this something that you're going to, I know this is kind of a, a hard question. Is that, is it, is that on your mind yet? Do you have kind of a time frame? Are you in for the long haul? Uh, I got hired as the interim chief to fill, fill a short-term gap. Um, that's what I agreed to do. But the longer that I'm here, the, the more clear it's becoming to me. This is a great, a great town, a great city, a great police department. And but that those are decisions ultimately they're going to get made by the elected officials. It's not up to me whether I hire myself or not, sure. but it's, this place has a lot going for it. And I'm really having a lot of fun. It's been great so far. Yeah. Well, it's great to meet you. Uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Chief Andrew Shearer. I'm a Shearer as well. I'm a barber, you know, so I thought about yeah. that. 
So, so uh, I appreciate you coming on. And I'm going to end this with a song. Uh, I chose this uh, because we are kind of trying to turn the page. So this is a song I made years ago with a couple of my friends that went, their crew is called uh, Parallel Minds. So this is me, Patty Rose, featuring Parallel Minds. This is Turn the Page. Yesterday's problems are gone. Today's a new day, so I'm going to move on. It really is a beautiful day. So now I'll be on my way. Walking through my city, the sun pats me on the back Somehow it gives me energy and helps me relax at the same time So I think my plans today are smiling Feeling like I'm living on a Jamaican island, but I'm not It's still Eugene I'm still feeling free and still living my dreams And it seems like this smile will never fade away So on my next bad day, I'll just remember the day Everyone is smiling, the birds are chirping, everything feels right and the girls are flirting, I flirt back but I don't have any game so I never leave with anything more than a name Numbers aren't given to me, but that's fine, I don't even ask for them, I'm just passing some time Just passing by with a few things to say, living in the moment, it's a beautiful day I can't help getting older Chains on which we've relied Expose the truths we've tried to hide Inspired by those we love who have died It's gonna be a great day to simply be alive And I can tell it by the way my wings are lifting me outside And so I jump into a pair of shorts Hit the door so quick that I almost tripped over my sneakers on the floor Called up a couple of friends that I knew were raring to ride They picked me up, I hooked them up with the newest parallel of mines I said skip the summertime, they jumped to it I love the way I'm feeling famous when they turn it up and bump to it I rolled down the windows coasting, the sunroof's open And I swear it seems that every single pretty girl is noticing I'm feeling good, now I'm feeling sublime I'm trying to think of better days, but I'm having a hard time I'm just relaxing, sitting back in the back laughing Imagine how I had it a half a year ago back then and all the bad times i had make it worth it and i'm glad they finally passed because the day is basically perfect and things are only getting better with time and by the time that i get better every letter will rhyme and as i write onto the page a smile brightens my face everything in my life's going right for a change i can't help getting older and with age i feel rage turn the page on the past and i'll last the change and i'll last the change Turn the page on the past, can I last the change? Can I last the change?